This is the Smooth Operator Podcast. I'm Adam Liette, Director of Operations for a seven-figure online business and eight-year veteran of Army Special Operations. On this show, we get into the tactical nitty-gritty of what it really takes to run a thriving online business because at the end of the day, operators lead the way. What's up, Smooth Operators? Welcome to today's show. So good to have you. So at the time I'm recording, Recording this. This is what I love about this industry so much. I'm recording this at six o'clock in the morning, and you're like, whoa, ridiculous. But that's what's so cool about this remote world we live in. We connect with people all over the planet. We get to have these conversations. I happen to be speaking with someone across the pond today. So I'm up early. I'm always up early anyway. That military life never goes away. But to be able to have this flexibility. It's one of the things I love the most about the fact that I've been a remote worker for now several years, I think going on six, kind of lost track. But remote work, most of us, I I know I know you guys, like 99% of you guys are remote, and I get that. And I think when we start as remote, we often push aside some of the standard business practices and business structures that make business function that you have to have in the corporate environment. And we're like, oh, I don't want to be corporate. I don't want to have rules. Rules, policies save your life. They save your sanity. And they do great things for your business. If you go back to last week's episodes where I talked about KPIs and how magical KPIs are, uh, we, we might get into that on this, uh, on this call here as well. But all these structures, they've worked for a reason. They've propelled business forward. They've allowed companies to grow. And I think we are just limiting ourselves if we put ourselves in our own little remote world bubble and refuse to see the bigger world. And so I was so excited the other day when I got to meet Valentina Turner. Uh, Valentina Turner is a remote work systems expert. Uh, She helps thriving companies transition to and sustained distributed or hybrid models. So think about that. We're coming the opposite way. We're coming from very in-office structure into distributed or hybrid models. So she's helped leadership roles across product, customer support, and remote operations. And that's really given her a unique perspective on the challenges and opportunities of remote work. There are challenges. Indeed, there are so many opportunities. And I just can't wait to geek out and talk about the various things that we can do in our own businesses to not only propel our own business forward, but to take care of sustain and enrich the employees that we bring onto our team. So thank you for joining me, Valentina. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing really great. And one, I I really have one comment. Processes also reduce anxiety. Oh my gosh. Especially for new hires and especially in the remote world. If you have good processes and you have them documented, you so many questions won't need to be asked because they can just look them up and then they know how this works here and like it it just makes the the onboarding process so much smoother oh you're hitting my keywords right now love it (laughs) (laughs) yes we will definitely dive into that for sure let me make sure i make a note of that um but I, I've been fascinated by your story as, as I was looking through things, uh, preparing for this interview. And so I'm really, I'd love to hear it from your own words. What brought you into this place of being a remote 
um, work expert and being able to help the, these companies uh, make this transition. So uh, usually the question is, how did you get into remote? And the truth is, I don't even remember. I've been remote for the past. Well, I do remember, but I have been remote for almost 20 years. And the first time with real remote experience was back when I worked at Yahoo, because we were allowed to work from home when and whenever we needed it. And I mean, if you don't really like to sit in a big office, you just needed it every day. And it was fine until the new CEO, Melissa, came in and made this whole lean in, go back to the office a thing. And I didn't last very long in the office because there was just too much stimulation. So then I worked at a couple of agencies. I had my own enterprise. And then I went to uh, Automatic, which is like one of the big remote original um, scaled big companies, fully distributed, no offices, amazing experience. And after that, I started working with startups. And when the pandemic hit, I realized that a lot of the structures, a lot of things that I had learned at Automatic, which you'd think they have figured it out and they have figured it out, but those things are not necessarily transplantable to a new startup that maybe even started in office and that never actively thought about how do we want to set this up remotely? Because if you look at the companies that became remote before the pandemic, for them, it was a conscious decision. They basically sat down together and thought about, okay, we don't want an office, maybe because one co-founder is from Sweden and the other one is from, from the US or something, and no one wants to move. So we're going to make this remote. How are we going to make this work? And so the seed of successful remote work was planted at the inception of the company. Now, if you were a thriving company and a pandemic hit and you had to send everyone home, you didn't have this, this basis, this like framework under which you grew because basically all your processes and all your operations were based in the office and you had to adjust basically under pressure, under duress, in a very, very short time frame, focusing on survival. So the policies and processes that you get out of that, uh, they may be functioning. I hope they were functioning for you, but they are not long-term preps uh, planning because there was no strategy behind it. It's what, it was just literally survival. And very often the policy was, here's your computer, take it home and uh, try to be productive. And then you end up with a set of basically non-rules, a set of uh, how do we figure this out that doesn't really work for anyone. And then you get people telling me, oh yeah, we've tried remote, it doesn't work. And it's like, I don't know, I've thrown my dog in a pool and it didn't like the water. Like it's not, it, it, it doesn't work like that. If you want to be really successful with a remote company, you need to think about your process and how your setup and how you do things just as much as you would if you did it in office, because it's not easier, it's different. And it requires a lot of deliberate decisions. And I, my goal is to help companies to make these deliberate decisions. And because I have experience both with the uh, original remote people, where, by the way, they hired very specifically for people who love to write. Most people who work at the original remote companies are writers at heart. That's why they have huge handbooks. They don't have any meetings. They are very, very comfortable with asynchronous operations because everybody likes to write. Now, a lot of the 
startups that were that were first in office and then came, became remote, they never hired for writing skills because they could just talk to each other. So you have a lot of talkative people who have a hard time writing stuff down, but they still want to do remote because they've seen the opportunities. So how can we align the what you need for business to work with what you need for your style of work to work? Like that's kind of the, the golden path that I'm trying to help them discover. Oh man, you hit upon one thing that I've noticed about myself because there's so much self-discovery that I think goes into this. And if you're you're willing to be open with yourself and a little bit vulnerable, um, I am actually not a writer. I I prefer audio, visual communication. And so I've I've had to develop like little tools to help me work within that. So I'm the biggest user of the record a video function in Slack. I do it at least 20 times a day to my team. If I need hmm. something done, I'd much rather spend 30 seconds on a video than five minutes writing something down. And, and the thing is, especially with my really high eye team members, uh, so I'm a huge purveyor of disc as, as everyone listening knows, my really high eye people, like, oh, I love that video. Thank you so much, Adam. And so mm-hmm. really f- cool how we we have these adaptable ways of communicating in, in remote work that, well, we didn't have 20 years ago for exactly. sure. And um, if the pandemic gave us one thing, it's a lot more tools to do that. Um, hmm. so when you're, when you're sitting down with a company and you're like working on that intention, cause I a hundred percent agree. Like you have to come with a remote intention, like let's mm-hmm. make this work. Let's come up with a strategy. Um, what are some of the main hangups that you see or some of the things that like people get stuck on? The first thing is the word remote. Mm. Like ask 10 people, what does remote mean? And you get 10 different answers. So if you want to describe your processes or the way you work using the word remote, but you don't even have a joint understanding about what that means, that is very complicated. For some people, remote means work from home. For other people, remote means work from anywhere. Sounds like a very small difference, but if you work from remote and uh, my anywhere includes three different time zones, that will have an impact on how our meetings will go because I might be asleep because I just decided to go for three months to Bali. But if we just put into our policies, people can work remotely, like it's not enough because then we have serious problems when it down the line with like the nitty gritty of things that have to happen during the day. So what I usually recommend is like first get like ignore the word remote. Remote, it's it's just like it's like saying food. I'm going to a restaurant to have food. Yeah, but I still choose whether I want Mexican or Japanese, whether I'm going for lunch or for dinner and whether I'm going to pick up or I'm going to sit in like there for having food. There's still a lot of. Uh, a, different, a lot of different decisions involved. And for remote, the analogy would be first define what you mean by location, like where does the work happen? And then on the other side, look at the dimension of scheduling, when does work happen? And if you put these two together and you can put this into a graph, then you let, get like nice four quadrants, uh, then you know where you sit on this whole spectrum of remote. That's so so interesting. And I, I, I know I've encountered it before. I never thought of it in that way that you just framed it. So how does that 
like if we have the employee, because I've had employees that did that, they backpacked for a year and mm. they they were all over the place. And we had like the company time zone. Mm-hmm. But how does that work with or what do you what have you seen work best with like fixed hours, flexed hours? Like, mm-hmm. how do we balance that? Because, you know, there there are things that happen during the day that w- we might need people to be present in. Mm-mm. At whatever day means, then that's the next exactly. question. Yeah. So usually, so the the location is a lot easier because you can. I mean, on the one extreme, you have like the office, which is like traditional office, and on the other side, you have digital nomads, like people who can get over the, all over the place. And for a lot of companies, like I have to tell them, it's fine if you say you only want to hire in your city still allow for not in office or if you only hire in your country because you will live in a country where there's a lot of social security etc and you want to have everybody their 14 month maternity leave so you are only going to hire in your country or you're only going to hire in your time zone because you want to have this overlap in time and then when it comes to schedules it actually depends of course on the one extreme we have nine to five which would be come at nine, you leave at five and everything else is free time. And then the, on the other side, you have complete asynchronous. Everybody works whenever, well, not whenever the muse strikes because that doesn't very really help them, but everybody organizes their schedule as they wish for. And between these two extremes, there's a lot of variation because you could say, okay, we don't have fixed work times because nine to five like takes all the flexibility out of everyone's life, but you have to be online, let's say between 11 and three. And all our meetings will always be between 11 and three and we expect you to be like available. The other hours, whether you put them in front or at the back, or we don't care and don't work on weekends. Or you could say, um, okay, you can work whenever you want, but we expect you to be there Tuesdays at 4 p.m. because that's when we have the company all hands and everybody needs to be there. Or you mm-hmm. say, we are we like asynchronous, so work whenever you want. Or you can work whenever you want, but we need to know a week in advance. So please, on Friday, already put in your working hours into the calendar for like two weeks from now so that everybody knows like when to schedule meetings with you. So there is a lot of options, which is the big advantage of distributed work. And it's also the biggest challenge because you need to define this and you will always have people that hate whichever decision you take. But if you don't take a decision, you're going to hate yourself. So make a decision, have a story about why you made that decision, and then write it down, talk about it, make sure it comes up in every single interview so that you end up people who actually like what you want. For example, people who have kids actually enjoy knowing that the main work time is between 11 and 3 because they know that they will be able to get all their work done while the kids are in school. Mm -hmm. And for somebody who has kids, knowing that no one's going to put a meeting after 5 p.m. when the kids are home, that is worth so much. On the other side, there might be nomads who think this is absolutely crazy and they would never because they want to have a three hour siesta. And that's great. But you don't want, if you are a core hour work uh, company, you don't want to hire these people. So you better tell this already in your job uh, descriptions and not once they have started. And now you have somebody super frustrated because your vision of how work should happen and their vision does not overlap. 
And that happens a lot if you just say, we allow for remote work. I 100% resonate with that. There's, it's find a model, decide on your model, communicate hmm. your model. And I love that you put like, tell the story of your model. Uh, I think storytelling is so underutilized right now. Yeah. And, and there's so much to gain from stories. Um, Cause it, it, does, it, makes it puts it, meaning behind everything. Exactly. And it makes it easier for people, not only to understand why you did what you did, but also to remember that you did what you did. Like, for example, like I had this client and they only hire in Germany. And mm -hmm. you can leave Germany to work from elsewhere from up to one month or something per year. But within Germany, you can work wherever you want. And they say very clearly, hey, we want everybody to be covered by German social security. We have this very expensive internal um, insurance that only covers you for one month. So if you travel longer than one month, you're not covered by our internal uh, insurance. And we don't want to run this risk for your sake. We didn't make this mm -hmm. up. It's like it's the security policy. And we want everybody to be to be covered by this. But other than that, do whatever you want. And also we are meeting once every quarter. And because everybody is in Germany and we can do these travels by train, we're not breaking the, the, the world, the climate, and we're not breaking the bank because it's easier to get everybody together from within Germany by train than having to fly in people from Bali, Thailand, US or wherever. So they made it mm -hmm. very clear that their policies align with their core values. As right. a sustainable social company that values social connection that happens in person once per quarter and that take care of the well-being of their employees. And once mm -hmm. you have this story created, you don't get pushback because it right. makes sense. It all makes sense. This whole, oh, no, you can only work from home on Wednesdays and Fridays because I say so. That does not make sense. Yes. And and. There's so much that one company in, in particular, like that decision, that conscious decision that we codified, made into our policy, that informs <laughs> like 3,000 decisions in the company. Exactly. And it makes but now clear. there's no more ambiguity. Like it's mm -hmm. clear. Here's what we're doing. Yep. And now we can plan everything else based upon this understanding of how this is working within the company. Exactly. Oh, it's beautiful because now even <laughs> as a leader, like my anxiety just went down like 300 levels because uh, decisions are already made for me. I'm just working from exactly. a model. I'm working yeah. from a story. And HR usually loves the result because they don't have to think about every single question from employees. Because mm -hmm. if you have this framework, you don't need to make a for every single possible edge case that might come up. Because if you understand the framework, you can solve for 95% of the edge cases. And that means you actually have the, the time if a real edge case comes along. I don't know, uh, my wife is from Mexico and her mother just got really sick and we need to go from Mexico to three months. I know we can only travel for one month, but would it be okay if we... And then you're like, okay, this is extraness. Uh, circumstances, we can justify why we are allowing this to you and not making this a company policy. And we're going to find a solution for you and your wife so that you're covered by insurance or whatever it needed to accommodate for this. 
But mm. like all the day-to-day -day decisions, they're already made because you can just look at the policy and be like, okay, this aligns and this doesn't align. And what doesn't align? Well, it doesn't fly because this is a company, not a charity. <laughs> yes, oh, I love that line. Well, I think this segues nicely into something I noticed on your in your core messaging because these policies and having this framework allows you to take care of your people in a very special way mm. when needed because you've taken care of so many decisions and exactly. you're able to then flex into that more critical thinking and problem solving that your people mm. are going to need if they haven't yet it's coming get ready listeners yeah. um and that's where i think there was one line off your website where you said operations and people ops yeah and i i love that phrase people ops and so i'd I, i'd love to dive into that what does that mean to you and how did you how did you codify that into your process hmm. so there there was this experiment a couple of years maybe already a couple of decades ago <laughs> where it was actually a study on impulse behavior so they had these hershey kisses and they put them on like back in the day when they had still receptions at companies and they put the hershey kisses on the rece reception desk so it was basically at arm's length of the lady usually at the time manning the desk or women in the desk. And then they just wrote down how many marshmallows or Hershey kisses she ate because it was easy accessible. And then the next week they put the bowl with the control group like on a cupboard that was maybe two steps away. So you had to physically get up, go over and eat your sweet and go back to your desk. And just the fact that she had to get up and walk over meant that the consumption of sweets went down to like one third of the other consumption because we often do what is convenient. Mm. So from a people ops perspective, I want you to set up your company in a way that your processes make it easy to do the right thing. And so that you add friction to the things that you don't want to see happening. So instead of trusting in people's willpower, which is usually depleted by around 11 a.m. anyway, you can trust in the processes. If you don't want something to happen, just make it as inconvenient as possible. And if you want something to happen, make it so easy that somebody would look really bad if they didn't just do it. <laughs> and then people can use their willpower for the really important things in life. I'm hearing like a Robert, have you read Robert Cialdini before? Yes. Yeah, I'm hearing I'm hearing bits of that. <laughs> For sure. I mean, it's a reason why they say you put, could put you should put your cookies on the fridge, like on the far side of your fridge, because then the cookies last longer. Oh, I do more than that. The cookies go like in the cellar, behind three bins, so they're like <laughs> hard to get because I will eat them. <laughs> yeah. And it also works with physical environment. For example, I uh, used to work at a standing desk for like most of the day when my kids were at home, when they were small, because a toddler can't reach your keyboard if you're at a standing desk, mm. which means you don't have to tell them, don't touch my keyboard, but they don't, they can't see it. They don't reach it. You, there's one l less thing that tempts them. It's the same principle. Is If you don't want them to reach the keyboard, put it up high enough so that they can't reach it. 
if you don't want people to spam the general channel with things that you're not interested in, allow them to have as many topic-based Slack channels as they want. So that if I want to share my latest growth spurt in my Monstera plant, I can put it into the plant channel and only inform the people who are actually interested in plants. Side effect is that you end up creating groups around interests that cross company like company functions. And then suddenly the lady that loves plants from accounting is talking to the developer who loves plants and they end up sharing Monstera growing tips, but they also get to know each other. And those are the type of social bonds that actually then make a company culture. And it all started mm. with the fact that you were annoyed by plant pictures in your general channel. Oh, one of my colleagues, I'm going to let her listen to this. She's going to be smiling so much because literally we set up those channels in our Slack last week. Oh, okay. this, good. Well I done. mean, this is five days old for me at the time of this recording. And I was like, why are we doing this? And I was just like, Un unsubscribe, unsubscribe. I don't want to know about this. And you just hit it. Like, of course you don't. And it works. And it you don't works. need to know. And now it works. Yeah, Look at that. Exactly. They're having their yeah. conversations about film and um, or TV shows over here. Exactly. And no longer, oh, okay. And what a lot of leaders tell me, oh, but then people are only going to talk about, I don't know, Dungeons and Dragons or, or knitting or whatever. But the truth is, if you, I always tell them, well, just stay in all the channels for a week and see what happens. And usually what happens when a channel is created, there's like a lot of flurry because people are like, oh my God, I have to tell everybody how many plants I have. Uh, plants is my thing. And, but then it tapers out and then those channels are actually very silent and you get like maybe there's a message or three or a picture or something once a week and then a couple of people because this is like in the office like in the office you don't only talk about work like you also you come in super smiling and somebody is so what happens they're like oh i just uh, heard that my daughter i don't know won the spelling bee or whatever and then you talk a little bit about uh, the decline of education and public system and then you're done with it right yeah. And you, but this is what makes you connect with people. And we need to kind of mimic this in the online environment so that people don't only connect with each other over tasks, but also over personal thing, because that's what then makes them want to do the travel to meet each other at the quarterly, half yearly, or yearly uh, meetup that you have with the entire company. Because the idea is not that you put people together so that they get to know each other. You actually already want them to be excited to meet the people in person that they have worked with. And you're never going to get somebody to be excited about meeting somebody else just because of task management. There needs to be more to this. So if I know that you and me, we have a shared interest, I am a lot more um, interested in making it work so that I, I can go to the meetup. Because something that a lot of leaders forget is going to a meetup, traveling somewhere for like two, three days, depending on who you are, is actually quite a big ask. I mean, I'm a single mom, mm -hmm. so I have to, like, if I can't take my kids with you, I have to outsource them somewhere. So right. I need at least like three months advance notice and I need to have a big enough motivation to actually make it worth the hassle for me. And for me, the hassle might be worth it because then I'm going to see Mariana who has the same plant obsession that I have. 
and it kind of tweaks the odds that people are going to come slightly little bit in your favor, which is exactly what you want to do. Again, just because you were annoyed with those plant pictures in the general journal. It cascades or, down from there. Or even better, like you can force people to come or at the threat of unemployment, but now they're coming with a better heart. They're coming with a better mm -hmm. intention. And exactly. so you're not unnecessarily creating friction when hmm. we're trying to avoid it at all costs. Exactly. I mean, well, as much as we ever can in companies, I mean, friction's going to be there. Yeah. And, and to be very honest, if you like, if it's part of your work culture that you meet every quarter and you have made that very clear already in the recruitment process, you can expect people to come once, but you need to be very clear with it. Like yes. what I, what I've seen a lot is that you are like, let's say you're the first fully remote person and then you've signed the contract and then they tell you, oh, and by the way, the first week you will have to fly to headquarters for the, and then you're like, that's three weeks from now. Like I cannot put my life on hold because three weeks on now, like this should have already been covered in the, uh, in the conversations leading up to the, signing the contract. Yeah. But you need to know that this is part of your process. Like very often HR is also kind of because they didn't get any information about how this should all look like. So they are also kind of trying to solve things as they come up. So you're making everybody's life easier if you just decide upfront how you want work to happen at your company, how and when and where. Mm. That's so interesting. And and I love, I, love, I want to circle back to one thing you said about, you know, setting it up so it, it's easy to do the right thing. And doing the right thing is easy. And I think from that perspective that we just shared, where HR should know what some of those expectations are, um, I see this a lot in the companies that I work with, where processes, SOPs, those are kind of like they're made and they're put into a folder. Like, how mm -hmm. do we communicate this in a in a in this environment? Are we are do we use are we building dashboards? Are we build like what what have you found to be the most effective way of communicating all this information that we need to have at our fingertips and not stuffed away in a digital filing cabinet? Hmm. So that's where stories come in again. Because people don't remember SOPs, they don't remember processes, but they do remember the story and the reasoning behind it. And hopefully the reasoning and the story behind is clear enough so that you can kind of derive the process from the story that there was, maybe not with all the details, but kind of getting the, the, the gist of it. Because that then, if people remember, oh, there was a process, that's usually enough because then they can look it up. The problem with a lot of processes that are filed away is that no one remembers that that process existed in the first place. Yes, 100%. And then, and then they get forgotten. And that's because you didn't have a story about it. So what I usually recommend is whenever you make a decision within your company that is based in this process, bring it back to the why. So explain, okay, this year we have decided to meet in, in Germany and in Frankfurt because it has the best long distance train uh connections with the rest of the country that's why we're using this because and then like come back to the story so that everybody remembers oh yeah of course we are hiring only in germany because we are very much into sustainability and we only want to like do travel with train and avoid airplanes like whatever your reasoning is and always circle back to the because this is how we work because these are the stories that people make their stories. And then suddenly it's not just a process anymore. It has become part of the company culture. 
And at some, uh, at some point, people don't remember why we go everywhere by train. It's just what people at this company do. We go by train and everybody has gotten the train discount card, whatever, sponsored by the company. So it's like you make mm -hmm. it part of the, the, the DNA of the company. Wow. I have, I have taught and used storytelling in so many aspects of running business, mostly like for motivational purposes or hmm. for ins inspirational. And I never thought about using it for cultural. And Culture I, is a story. It, I know it is. And now it's like, it's that light bulb moment. We were talking before the interview about how, how much we love podcasting because you, you develop IP like in the midst of it. It's crazy. Huh. And now I, this light bulb just clicked on in my head of the story of why the story of that's what it is it's the story of why yep exactly oh my goodness that's and if so you get time. pushback then you know that your why is probably not clear enough just yet that's interesting hmm. that's interesting so when that happens like if if you were advising a client who's getting that pushback like what it's it's I think it's really hard as leaders if we if we have this in our mind and we're like this is perfect and we get that pushback it's like what you, it's my story what the like how how do they go about resetting or like what do they need to do at that point uh, having a conversation with where the pushback is coming back from which can be one per, one single person or it can be like a part of the company and like understanding why this pushback is being created because of what happens very often is that. The people at the top tend to be very homogenous in terms of group. So they may just have overseen that whatever policy that's decided on structurally disadvantage a group that they weren't aware of. And usually that does not happen with bad intention. It just happens. Like, right. for example, if you do mandatory every three months, we meet for two days. And that's why we are only in this country. So it's everybody who comes. And you don't have a woman or you don't have parents in your leadership group, you're probably going to forget about the facts that breastfeeding cannot be interrupted for three days to go to a company event. Right. So there will be a point in time where you're going to invite everybody and a recent mother is going to tell you, hey, guys, I can't come because... Or she's simply going to say she's sick or whatever. She's not going to attend because she, you are effectively making her choose between the well-being of her child and attending the company meeting. And that's mm -hmm. not a choice that anyone should be meet, making. So if you get pushed back there, then you're like, oh, it looks like our story is not, com not complete. So you can then add a policy that says, okay, if you have a child that's under, I don't know, 18 months or a child that's still being best breastfed, you can bring the child and a second person with you on company uh, money to take care of the child so that you can take uh, take part in all the activities and still breastfeed your child. And I've uh, mm -hmm. worked with at least two companies who have used this and it's an, it's an amazing perk because it doesn't cost a lot because you don't have breastfeeding mothers that often who need this. The right. impact on moral and on the story that you tell about how you're taking care of your people is enormous. And the cost is ridiculous because the care, the second caretaker is going to share a room with that person and the baby anyway. So the only thing you're having to pay is like the extra travel for that person because the baby won't yeah. eat a lot either. So the it's train kind of- The train and a little bit of per diem. 
Exactly. Right? It's so it, it's kind of it's it's a, it's a no-brainer. But you are probably not going to think about it if you don't have anybody in your leadership team who has had to make that decision in the past. So sometimes it just makes sense. Okay, there's pushback. Let's look into why we're getting this pushback, and then see if there is a solution that we can create that actually aligns with our story and makes the pushback go away because we are accommodating for whatever the problem was. So if I use that, use that example, and I had to learn that lesson hard right away because we have four children. And at the time when we started having the kids, we it was a 12-hour car ride home. So mm. I was like, well, we'll go home for the holidays. And wife's like, well, where are we going to stop? I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, uh, like, yeah. oh, oh, <laughs> doink, <laughs> right? Yep. It's so interesting. And, but it is those little things. I think when we're telling the story of our company and when our employees, most importantly, are telling the story of our company, that little accommodation, as small as it is, is actually gigantic. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. And it's the thing that people will talk about. Like it will create a brand awareness as in from the terms of employer branding and also a loyalty that you can't manufacture with like giving an annual bonus or something. Oh yeah. My goodness. And there, there's like it, a moment. It, it doesn't my, compare. Yeah. There's a moment from my own life where I was working remote. I need to change my story <laughs> of what that means now. I yeah. I was working for a new uh, new company. I'd only been there a couple months, and I'm an army reservist, uh, so hmm. I occasionally have to go and I get called up for a week or two of active duty time where I have it's it's nine to five army, mm -hmm. and I was expected to do forty hours a week at my job, and they said, "Hey, just get what you can, just do what you can, keep everything running. We're going to still pay your salary." But uh -huh. it, that slightest small accommodation, instead of them saying, well, you need to figure this out. Yeah. And that became part of my story with that company mm -hmm. and definitely changed my perception of them. And so it's like finding those, but, but it all comes down to something that if we circle right back around to the front of this interview, it came down to taking care of everything else mm -hmm. so that we can apply our critical thoughts and exactly. our- or humanity, to be perfectly honest, to mm -hmm. the emerging problems that our team really needs us to apply yeah. ourselves to. Uh, and the, the other challenge maybe is that in leadership positions, we often sit in a bubble that's kind of removed from the re reality of the people who work in our companies. That's why I hate this whole work from home so much, because you and me, I can see that from your background, we are lucky enough to have a space in our homes where we can work right. relatively comfortably without having to like cram ourselves to, on the kitchen table or, or like on the sofa or something, which I mean, it also has a, a, a health part to it because like we both have like ergonomic chairs and everything is set up for us to be successful. Depending on where you live and on your salary, not everybody of your employees will have the luxury of having a room where they can work comfortably and shut the door on the world, basically. Mm -hmm. So by telling people, oh, we allow you to work from home, it's, it's not the same as when the CEO of the company works at home. 
So right. sometimes people actually prefer to go to the office, not because they prefer to go to the office, but because they pr prefer to have a proper chair and air conditioning. So mm -hmm. if you allow or if you encourage work from home or rather remote work, I actually like either you should have a stipend so that they can at least get a proper chair and a proper desk or even better, give something like an, an office allowance so that those who do not want to work from home for whatever reason, some people just want to completely divide their work and their, their non-work uh, existence. Yeah. So that people can go to a co-working that is close by, which may still, where they get still uh, some social interaction, where they can get out of the house and where they have a chair and a desk that works, that is in working condition and not just in survival conditions. Because work from home in the pandemic, that's not remote work. That was yeah. sheltering at home because there was a pandemic out there. It's not the same. That was making it work as opposed to, I really want to sustain this for five years. Exactly. Exactly. I remember we had like all four of the kids at the kitchen table with their Chromebooks trying to do their studies at the same time. I was like, this yeah. is not fun. Not, not sustainable. No. And, and the oh, kids, that's... Oh. Uh, I always terrible. I get very upset when somebody says, oh, yeah, women need to work from home because that's so much easier with childcare." And I'm like, there's a reason we don't take kids to the office. Yeah. yeah. Like you, it's not possible. You, you can take your dog to the office, but you cannot take your child to the office. And there's a very obvious reason to it. So don't expect women to work from home so they can take off their kids because it's two activities that do not work with each other we still need child care for every child even if the mother or the father can work from home because somebody needs still to take care of the child while the the parent is working and like a lot and of I... people don't really understand that these two things are like different concepts you can be yeah. for remote work and for uh comprehensive child care because they need to go together and I've often seen that as policy where companies would say, well, if you do work a remote or distributed, you need to have childcare and here's mm -hmm. the allowance for childcare. And my wife is a childcare provider. So we have, this is part of the reason I have my own space. Oh, here we go into my story. Um, part of the reason I have my own space in the backyard is because I have dozens of children in my house every day because my oh, wife has wow. employees that come over to the house and we have like it's a zoo in there i couldn't mm -hmm. work in there she wouldn't want me in there i'd get kicked out yeah. in like five minutes um so it's it's what we've had to do to adjust to it and your employees mm -hmm. are going to go through the same thing so what are you going to do from a leadership perspective to enable that exactly not everybody has a spouse at home who takes care of the kids. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to facilitate the taking care of the kids? Oh my goodness. There's so much to learn from here, but, and I feel, I think the number one thing to take away from the fact that you are going to run into these, I, we, we could talk all day and we're not going to hit every single possible edge hmm. case. Cause that's not how this works. But I think from my perspective, and let me know if you agree it's about being curious and actually listening and having an mm -hmm. open forum for that feedback from your employees. That's going to yep. uncover the edge cases. But exactly. It, like just saying, I have an open door policy. But what does that really mean? Like, no, open. It, it means don't bother me. 
It means, yeah, thank you. It means don't bother me. No, like there's this whole, and if you work distributed, you need to have regular one-on-ones with your employees, like be that weekly or bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. And th- those shouldn't be open door conversations where you're like, oh, we put this into a calendar. If you have something, we do this. And if we don't have anything to talk about, we cancel it. No, no, there should be a regular conversation, even if you think you don't have anything to talk about. Because once you sit down, you realize you do have things to talk about. And if you don't have anything to talk about with your employees, as a leader, you're not doing your job correctly. Like you should yes. be actively trying to find out what's going on in your employee's life, how you can help them with their work, where they're stuck, what they're super happy about, because only if you have this holistic picture, you can actually support them in their own developmental growth within the company. And yes, they are responsible for their own career, but if you want their career to happen within your company, and if they are a good employee, that should be your interest. You need to know what drives them, what motivates them and what they need because then they're going to stay with you for a long time absolutely and happy employees stay and staying employees uh, i mean you talk about stability for you as the leader in the organization it's those employees that stay because hiring is is what it is onboarding is what it is i'm not gonna say it's terrible because i don't want to put that framing on it let's say it's hard it is what it is it's hard it's difficult we have to our own anxieties about it. And is this going to work versus that employee that does work that is already mm-hmm. part of the culture? Cause you're not just losing an employee. You're losing all those connections that that employee had. So one employee leaving impacts every other Everyone, node that yeah. they touched. Mm-hmm. So th- yeah. Retaining people is definitely a skill. And I, I love the one-to-one meetings I found for it kind of, I, I always gauge my one-to-ones based on, how many hours people worked like mm-hmm. my very part-time people they were like five to ten hours a week it's like monthly was enough if i did weekly oh yeah that, that makes sense yeah but my full-time and my my people that were closest to me one to once a week yes mm-hmm. it was needed yeah even even if we think it wasn't needed it, it always yeah, yeah no because, always because you don't run into them so like for me the question is always would you rather invest your energy into hiring and onboarding a new person or into the 10 people that you have the one-on-ones with every week. Mm -hmm. And then like, it's a lot more efficient to actually take care of these 10 people than having to find one new person. Yes. And those conversations will in turn tighten up your processes. Exactly expose problems, allow your HR person to get in front of them. So again, we circle right back to being able to do people ops because we've taken care of the stability. Yeah. Oh, well, we could go all day, <laughs> but I know we we both have calendars and um, I do so appreciate this conversation. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, this was great. I, Thank you so much for your questions. I yes. loved how we meandered through this topic. That was really great. I think the biggest thing that any of us can take away is as much, as long as I've been doing this and I've led companies at significant levels, I'm still learning. I'm still curious. And I think if we all just approach our work in that way with just the slightest bit of curiosity, I think it just goes so far and allows us to continue to grow because I'm never done product. You're never done product. We're never done. And how invigorating is that actually? I love it.
<laughs> yeah, the day you stop growing, you're dead. That's just nature. Exactly. And I'm not ready for that. I'm too young. So, Valentino, <laughs> where can our listeners uh, find out more about you? The easiest way is to find me on LinkedIn. Like just if I'm the only Valentino Turner until my daughter comes of age. So for now, I'm very easy to find and she'll get the best SEO ever when she grows up. <laughs> and then there's remotethatworks.com. If you want to read deeper into the framework that I use, uh, remotethatworks.com uh, remote slash dimensions, that's where you can download a pretty extensive guide that walks you through different questions that you can ask yourself on how to apply these dimensions to understand uh, your own or to basically shape your own uh, company logic. And if you need help, you just reach out. Absolutely. Well, we will link all that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Valentina. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so grateful that we ran across each other because the internet's so much fun and we get to make these connections and um thank you for doing what you're doing um you're all these little things i i consider myself more and more as i grow to be in the people ops business and um hmm. i know that the work you're doing is having a significant impact on people's lives so it's phenomenal to thank hear. you very much and thank you for bringing me to more people <laughs> Hey, before you bounce out of here, I have a free strategy session available exclusively for my podcast audience. In this 30-minute phone call, we'll unveil the immediate steps you can take to operationalize your business and put you back in the driver's seat. Just go to www.adamliette.com and click start here.